chapter 5, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we're actually going to start in verse 8, we're going to read Ecclesiastes 5, verse 8, all the way through chapter 6, and it says this, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool, and what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to me has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is this the advantage to man? For who knows what is good? For man, while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he possesses, like passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Let's pray. Holy Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and we need the light. So please open our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your instructions. 
And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes for the last few weeks, and we're about halfway through the argument of Ecclesiastes. He's the author kind of like a philosophy teacher. He's leading us through these paths. He's not automatically giving us the answer. He's saying, hey, you want to know what the meaning of life is? Try to figure out the meaning of life under the sun. And I'll take you down all these roads that you can go. And he's been showing us that those roads end to nothing. If you try to live life under the sun, apart from God, it ends in nothing. So he's always, he's looking for this meaning and he's leading us into this meaning. And, and this section he starts to come back again to money. There's a famous painting a couple hundred years ago called The Money Changer and His Wife. And it's a picture of this man, the money changer, sitting at the table and his wife reading the Bible. And she's trying to read the Bible. And all of a sudden her eye looks over to the, to the money and it just catches her eye. As much as she tries to follow Scripture, she's caught off by money and greed. And that's, in many ways, it seems like what's going on here in this passage. He, the author, the teacher, the philosopher, he, he just got done talking about going to church, how to worship God, how we're supposed to fear God. And it's, he starts right after saying, uh, we sh- to be, our desire is to fear God, be careful how you enter church, guard your mouth. Don't offer the sacrifice of fools. And right after he says that, all of a sudden he jumps into this odd verse. It says, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, don't be amazed at that matter. He, he just jumps into this argument. It's almost like he left church, went home, picked up, got the mail, got a letter that he had to go to the DMV the next day for chariots and carrying people, and was like ticked off once he got there. Because he got to the DMV, saw all the bureaucracy. Is there any more painful place to spend your day than at the DMV? It, it shouldn't be that way. There's chairs, there's people, there's things to read, but it seems like a complete drain on life. Because of often the bureaucracy. We just had an experience at the DMV, which is why I know that that's very true. And it seems like this is the situation he came from. It's like he just left church. He'd already talked about money earlier. And now all of a sudden he's back to talking about money. It's almost like he looked at life again. And was like, I want to remind you of something. That Money doesn't satisfy you. You're not going to find your satisfaction in life. You're not going to find it in wealth. It is filled with problems because there's injustice in that. And he was like looking at the marketplace of work and where people are living their life. And he sat there in the DMV and he looked around and he said, this is craziness. Because there's injustice everywhere. There's bureaucracy. There's oppression. There's poor in the world. And everybody's just striving and working and working to gather things. It doesn't seem life. So he jumps up into this argument about bureaucracy. And then he steps back and he says this in verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. What we have to say very carefully before we ever talk about money is we've got to set it up sometimes. It's very easy to turn it off. Because money is not the problem. There's nothing wrong with money. Money in itself is not 
wrong. It's necessary. It's actually convenient. It's much easier to pass out money than to carry chickens around or uh, carry animals to barter with. It's just cash seems much easier to deal with. So money in itself is not wrong. It's easier. And the Bible is not opposed to rich people. Abraham was rich. Joseph was rich. David was very wealthy. Solomon was extremely wealthy. Lydia was extremely wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea was extremely wealthy. The Bible had very wealthy people in Scripture that God used. Money is not the problem. It's the perspective of money and the love of money. You say, well, I'm not rich, Paul, so I don't really have to listen today. The problem, again, is our perspective of reality for living in America. If you make $48,000 a year, you are among the top 1% earners of the entire planet. $48,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of all the people in the world. If your household income is above 9,733, your combined household income, you are doing better than most people in the world. The medium income for people in the world is under $10,000. So if you have anything above that, you're already 50% wealthier than most of the entire world. More than a third of the people on earth, a third of the people on earth live on less than $2 a day. And 1.2 billion People live on less than a dollar twenty-five a day. Americans, in a few weeks, we will spend four hundred and sixty-five billion dollars on Christmas, and America also only spends six point three billion on fighting AIDS around the world. So, the perspective of the congregation of people that I'm talking to today are the rich people of the world. I drove around the lifestyles of the rich and famous this weekend as I toured Lake Holiday, Samanac, Sandwich, Yorkville, and Plano. We are a wealthy people. And it's not, we don't need to feel guilty for that. We we were born here. This is where God put us. We don't need to feel guilty for that, but we have to listen when it comes to the issue of money and not just say, well, I don't love money and I don't have a lot of money. Compared to the rest of the world, we are very wealthy people. And it's all about perspective. Because we're always just comparing ourselves with other people all the time. We, we don't think we have money because we're not as wealthy as people who are in Hollywood and have tons of money. So we're, we're not as wealthy as them. It's, it's not, we never look down. We always look up and say, well, I don't have enough. I had a big problem this week myself. I, I needed to plug in my computer, my smartphone, and my Kindle, and I was only next to one outlet. It was very frustrating. I was, these are wealthy people's problems. When you only have two plugins, and I got three things that are going to get charged. The rest of the world doesn't have these issues. We are the wealthy people. And he says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. He says, it's the love of money. I don't love money, Paul. It's not an issue with me. I don't love money. I just, I just like to get as much of it as I can get. Well, then maybe I am talking to you. J.D. Rockefeller was asked famously, one of the wealthiest men who's ever lived, and he said, how much money is enough money? And he replied, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. 
And deep down, there is in all, all of us, even as much of you are smiling and nodding your head, that's right, there is still something in us that says, if I just had a little bit more. There's a natural bent in all humanity that says, I just want a little bit more. Even when we know, I mean, we're good people. We know that there's billions of people who are starving. We're willing to give to that. But there's still something in us, in all of humanity, that says, I just need a little bit more. And the question is, that we have to deal with, is what are your expectations for money? And that's what the teacher, that's what the preacher is trying to get these, get us to see and get the original listeners to see, is listen, when it comes to money, the love of money will not satisfy. So you got to ask yourself, what are your expectations for money? And we have to understand that we're all kind of bent towards greediness. There was an older pastor who preached ministry for over 40 years, and he said, I had all kinds of people confess to me almost every sin possible, but I never had anybody confess to me that they were greedy. We don't confess greed. We don't even think of ourselves as greedy that often. We, just, we, don't, we don't consider ourselves greedy, but there is a natural greediness in all of us that we have to recognize. And the problem with money, if we're not careful, is that money becomes an idol in our lives. It's something that we treasure and worship above everything else. And this, the teacher, the preacher is saying, listen, I'm going to say it one more time. Money doesn't find satisfaction. You won't find your happiness in money. But still a lot of people will say, oh yeah, I still want to try. You bet. There's actually a country song right now that keeps is saying, I keep hearing money is the, co- the cost of all evils, and you can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle. I'm sure that's probably true, but it still sounds pretty cool. And he also goes on to say, I know what they say, money can't buy everything. Well, maybe so, but it could buy me a boat. That's the heart of greed in all of us. We know money can't bring us satisfaction. We know that money can't satisfy us, but it can get me something more. It can just give me a little bit more. And We're self-deceived where we actually think money is and can satisfy us. We all have to deal with this. Jesus said, though, you can't serve God and wealth. You can't serve God and money. You can't put your heart on those things and please God, and the author of Ecclesiastes, which was written 3,000 years ago, said it back then. He said, listen, money doesn't satisfy. But if we're truly honest with ourselves, we will admit that there's something in our own human nature that always wants to run for more money, always wants a little bit more. We never say, that's enough. I'm content just to have what I need And he goes on to say again, life is not found in the money. And then he gives some examples to remind us and to show us. Not an exclusive list, but a pretty good list to say, listen, here's why you should not and you cannot find happiness and satisfaction in money. And he says, first of all, money doesn't satisfy because there's this constant consumption that comes with it. He says, when goods increase, they who increase eat them up. So when you get more money, you have to have more stuff, you have to have more stuff, you have to have more people to help take care of that stuff, so you've got to pay more people to do that, and then you've got to pay more people to take care of the people that are taking care of you, and it just compounds, and it's consumed, and it's consumed, 
That's why all the lottery winners that win the lottery, all of a sudden they have to go into hiding because everybody is calling them up and saying, listen, I got a sick brother, I got a sick aunt, I got a sick dad, I need some money, can you send me some money? When riches increase, they are constantly looking to be consumed. And it doesn't bring peace. That's why all the, these NBA players and athletes, they get so much money. The big dream of their life. It's everything that they have wanted. The huge contracts. Tons of money. And they find out it doesn't satisfy. Kobe Bryant, when he was 24 years old, had everything signed to him. But he told Newsweek magazine, he says, I, I don't believe in happiness anymore. There is no happiness. He got everything that he had lived for, but he found out that all that created was more consumption, more people to take care of, more people that was wanting from him. And he, he thought there was just no happiness. It's quickly consumed, he says. He says, sweet is the laborer when he eats early. Like the guy that just goes to work, plows, he's working, he can just go to, he's tired at the end of the day, he can just relax. But the person who's so consumed with money, and gaining money, and making money, they can't do that. They can't sleep, they're always working, they're always thinking, what's, their, what's it going to go? Is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? Am I going to lose it? And they're just consumed with this. And, and we know story after story about this, the world knows this. But the reason that money doesn't satisfy, you can't find your satisfaction in wealth, and you can't love wealth, is because it will be quickly and it's constantly being consumed. The more you have, the more there's somebody ready to eat it and to take it. And you have to keep feeding it, and to keep feeding it, and to keep feeding it. And it's a drain, often, to people who love money. He says it's constantly consumed, but it's also quickly collapsible. You can gain all the money in the world. Verses 13, there's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. There's a guy that worked really hard all his life. He went to work every day. He saved, he saved, he invested a little bit, he invested a little bit. He had it, his, his income grew and grew and grew. And then he, he, he heard about a great deal. Hey, invest with me. Everything will go great. I'll, I'll increase your, your, your return like nobody else. So he says, that's a great idea. I worked so hard for the money. So he invests it to find out it's a Ponzi scheme and everything collapses and everything that he has is gone and they lose all their money. He says, those riches were lost in a bad venture. And to top it off, he was the father of a son who had nothing. And he came into the world with nothing and he went out in the world with nothing. If you put your heart into make money and love wealth, it's always going to be constantly consumed. It can very quickly and often is collapsed. In 2008 and 2009 in America, everything started to crumble, and many Christians, and maybe you, started to repent of sins. Life was good up until that. You were living life, living large, making all kinds of money, didn't think too much about God. You were just going to church, doing their thing, but you loved money more than God. And when everything started to collapse in 2008, 2009, everything started to dry up. All of a sudden, people were coming into their pastor's offices and saying, listen, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've stranded from God. I need to confess. I need to confess. Or they started jumping off and out of buildings and committing suicides all over the place because they loved money. And Bernie Madoff and all the American greed Ponzi schemes. 
And all these people who loved money had nothing. Life's not found in money or wealth. It's constantly consumed. It's quickly collapsing. He said there's even something worse than that, though. It's somebody who gets all this money, uh, who's gained everything. They get wealth and possessions, and then they don't have the ability to enjoy their possessions. It's just this cold reality of life. It's just going to work real hard, gather everything, live for that, have it, and then not really even be able to enjoy it. I call it the Christopher Reeves, Superman, who had it all. Success, fame, power, wealth. Goes horseback riding one day, falls off, breaks his neck, and is a quadriplegic. It's this evil that comes into this world. That's part of the fall of sin. And he says, when you live for money, and that takes place in your life, it's just crippling to us. It's cruel. It's, it's better that you weren't born than to have to deal with all those tragedies. Right now, across th- theaters around America and around the world, everybody's getting an inside look at a particular view of Steve Jobs, the god of technology. And what they're finding out that this guy, as brilliant as he was, wasn't all that good as a guy. He was cruel. He was tough. He was hard, and he died young, and he came into this world with nothing, and he left this world with nothing. If you live for money, it won't satisfy. And then he says there's just this constant toil. If you're in love and you live for money, and I have people come up to me, young people, and say, Paul, hey, I got a good job. I'm going to be making bank now. And they're living and they're loving money. And really what they're saying is, you're going to be making bills now. You're going to get bills now is what you're going to get. You're going to get lots of bills now. And if you live for that, and if you put everything in that, that you love money and you're just doing that, and you place that above God, what you are going to end up with is constant vexation, sickness, and anger. Because the wise person and the fool are going to annoy you. Because you can work really hard, go to college, get a master's degree, and end up working at Cinnabon because nobody will hire you in this economy. But the guy that drops out of school can drive over to North Dakota, start fracking for gold, and make $600,000 a year. And you will be ripped apart by that. You'll be filled with vexation. Or you will just be sick and you can go to the casino all day long try to make all the money that you want and try to win big bucks and come home to find out that your wife's got cancer and you can do nothing about it. You can't fix it at all. No matter how much money that you win, just sickness will fill your life. Or you'll be angry. Because you'll sit like I saw at the gas station next to Wabansi this week. I walked in there, paid for my gas. And they got the video gambling. That's not a happy place. The air is thick in there of guys zoned in, trying to hope to come for something. And the only thing you ever hear every once in a while is a little profanity when somebody lost it. A couple weeks ago, this summer, Teresa and I went to Arlington Racetrack 
for our anniversary. We, we, Teresa loves horses. We love horses. We thought we'd just go to the racetrack. We'd never been there before. It was awesome. Uh, but we're, we're walking around. They have all these little stools, all these little computer screens set up. Have you ever been there? And, and, and all these middle-aged guys in their 50s or late mid-50s or their 60s just sitting there all day long, all day long, trying to make money, trying to make money, silent. They're not talking to each other. Silent. And every once in a while, the only thing you would hear is a bunch of expletives because they just lost another race. And they're doing that day after day, weekend after weekend, and they're losing. And they're angry and they're sad. I actually won the trifecta. I didn't bet on it. But I picked the trifecta winner one time, and it was just fun. But they're doing it for money and for the love of money, and they are in vexation, sickness, and anger. And it has created in our culture not a joy to love and chase after money. Madeline Levine, in her book, The Price of Privilege, she wrote this. America's newly identified at-risk group is pre-teens and teens from affluent, well-educated families. In spite of their economic and social advantages, the children of affluence experience among the highest rates of depression, substance abuse, anxiety disorders, somatic complaints, and unhappiness of any group of children in the country. It is true that if you are in absolute poverty, to get up to about middle class, lower middle class, there is some happiness in that. But they've proven that after that point, the happiness just doesn't increase. The more you make doesn't increase your happiness, which is why Jim Carrey, comedian and actor, said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. People know that, but they keep chasing it. And they're unhappy. Last week, in the Bloomberg Business Week magazine, the title of it was New Money Issue. Meet the Rising Class of the Global Hustlers. And they had a whole article in there on the children of the Yan, Yan, Yan percent from China. All the wealthy, young, middle-aged, 20-somethings from China whose parents made big bucks, now they're leading the way. It says... This class of China's second-generation rich kids are the most loathed in the country, but they're also the future. This is what the author of Ecclesiastes is talking about. He says they're the most loathed, they're hated, their their life is filled with vexation and anger. Everybody wants a piece of them, but nobody can stand them. But yet at the same time, they're the ones that set up the bureaucracy that crushes everybody else. They've got all the money in the world. Nobody likes them. Everybody else wants all the money in the world, and they're crushed by their bureaucracy. That's what he's saying here. Money cannot bring happiness. One of them said said this, uh, uh, FDR Zhang says he parties as a way of starving off boredom. He goes, I used to go out clubbing five nights a week, because if I didn't, I couldn't sleep. But he pays high-end escorts, but often he says, I just spend nights rolling through my phone, and I find no one that I want to talk to. And then when they are asked, are you happy? I mean, this was just in last week's Bloomberg Fortune Business Week magazine. He says, people don't understand. And who, who, we don't have much sympathy for extremely wealthy billionaires. But this is what he said. He said, one, one of them, his name was Wang, said, they never understand. Why are you in pain? When people ask me why, why I'm in pain, I say it's just not relevant. The amount of wealth doesn't determine how happy you are, he says. 
That's what Ecclesiastes is saying. It was true 3,000 years ago, and it's still true today. But if we're not careful, we still think, I can overcome this. I could be the one that gets really happy with wealth. And God says, if you live for wealth, if you live for money, if you love money, if you find your complete satisfaction and treasure in money, you will never be satisfied. There is something greatly missing, and we all deeply know it. That's a wrong way to find out where life is. One of the up-and-coming 27-something hustlers of the new age in a magazine recently in Bloomberg, he said they asked some of them, what are, what are some quotes that have saved your life? What have, what have helped you out? And he said one of them was, there are a few people who will change your life forever. Find these people. And that really is what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying. Where are you going to find happiness? Because going down the road of money and wealth and finding your treasure there, it's a dead-end road. You're not going to be satisfied in that. You will never find true happiness in there. Don't go down that way. Don't do it. But instead, he says, live your lot in life in Joy. That's what he his conclusion in verse 18. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil which with, which with one's toils under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. It's a guy who says, listen, I recognize that this is my lot in life, and I'm going to be content with this. I'm going to find joy in this. I'm going to see that there is meaning in this life, that there's meaning in this lot that I have been given. But how do you do that? How is that possible, he says? Look how many times he mentions God in this little section. He says, the few days of the life that God has given him, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and accept his lot in life and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. The way you're not going to become satisfied with money is by chasing hard after God. Finding your treasure in God. Trusting God. Saying, listen, this is where God placed me. I'm not the wealthiest person I know. This is, I'm not the most skilled person I know. But I don't have to be frustrated with where God has placed me. This is the lot that he has placed me in. This is his good, sovereign will for my life. God is absolutely, providentially over all these things. That's what it says in verse 10. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is not known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his life in vain? Who knows? God knows what's good for a man. God knows that I've designed this particular lot for you and a particular lot for me which is good and when we accept god's lot and serve him with our ability to make money with our ability to live we will find great joy in that so going to work tomorrow you can find great joy hanging out with your friends you can have great joy using your smartphone you can have great joy using the internet you can have great joy You don't have to be consumed with greed if you trust God that he is absolutely sovereign and providentially in your life. You turn to God for enjoyment in your gifts. You see that this is a gift from God. Everything you enjoy enjoy is a gift 
from God. But you didn't earn it. You've been given to it to steward and to take care of. And then follow hard after God. You say, man, I would really like that to be true for me. But I am so hurting financially. It doesn't seem that God's gifts are good to me. It doesn't seem that God's caring for me. Well, Charles Spurgeon said this, remember. Had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are in, divine love would have put you there. We are called to embrace the lot in life that God has given to us. And realize that God is good. God is sovereign. He's providential over our lives. He's like an artist painting this beautiful picture of history for us. And he's using us. And he says, this is where I want you to be. You can find great enjoyment. You can have great love, great excitement, great thrill in life if you will just be satisfied in what I give you by faith. And I love you so much. If there was something better for you, I would have given it to you. And the way that you can know that I love you so much is because I sent my son, Jesus, to become very poor. Though he was very rich, he became absolutely poor for you. He gave up all the treasures of heaven so that he can become absolutely poor for you. And I let him die on the cross for you. And in his poverty... We have become rich. What's your view of money? What's your expectations of wealth? How you answer that question will determine your satisfaction. Are you using your money as a way to just be a grabber and to get? Or are you saying, you know what, everything God has given me is a gift to me. He's going to take care of me. Jesus loves me. Nothing that I don't have, I don't need at this moment. So I can actually just be very generous and very calm and very peaceful and just rest in the fact that God loves me deeply because Jesus sent his son for me. First Timothy says basically the same thing. First Timothy chapter 6, speaking to us. As for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who rightly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And he says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. If he was here today, he would say, Oh, Cornerstone, guard the deposit that was entrusted to you. Because what matters most is not this life when it comes to money. What matters most is to realize that in this life we may be poor, we may suffer difficulties, we may go through hardships, we are absolutely loved by God because Jesus came to rescue us from that. And when we repent and turn to him, we can live in this life in joy, trusting God for the good gifts that he is giving us and knowing this, that Psalms eleven sixteen says, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Don't seek your satisfaction 
in the wealth of the world. Seek your satisfaction in Jesus, who became poor for you so that you could be rich, not now, but in eternity with him. Life was meant to be lived not as a grabber, but as a giver, because Jesus gave his life for ours.
into the world Meet the needs for the poor and the needy God 